0: Some of you may not Facebook. I do not. But Lori put a picture of our twin cows on Facebook. Twin cows born in our family. Twin cows come once in every 400 cow births. (laughs) We had a calf born Friday... And I thought, well, he's a little small. Saturday, Chris comes over, our neighbor, and she says, you know, you have two calves out there. And there was another one born Saturday. So twins with separate birthdays. So this this will be in the back for your viewing later. (laughs) But twins are a blessing, I guess. You just got to make sure the mother doesn't reject one or something like that. This morning we're in Judges chapter 9. We're only going to look at three verses, 22, 23, and 24. But uh, Abimelech has been reigning over Israel, but he's only reigned over Israel for three years. He has a, a grassroots strength in Shechem. And the men of Shechem, they have made a political alliance with Abimelech and they paid him 70 shekels of silver. And with this money, Abimelech, he, he hires a group. He hires a little army, and this is a little army of thugs. And they help him kill 70 of his brothers. All the sons of Gideon, except for Jotham, are killed by Abimelech. Jotham, he goes to the top of Mount Gerizim and he shouts out a tree parable to the men of Shechem. And it's against Abimelech and it's against the men of Shechem. And then Jotham pronounces a curse and he says, let the fire of Abimelech destroy Shechem. Likewise, let the fire of Shechem destroy Abimelech. And then Jonathan runs for his life; <laughs> he makes a hasty retreat, for he 's in fear of Abimelech, and rightly so so let 's read the uh, verses twenty two through twenty four of judges nine and After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubal or Gideon might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother who killed him and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. It's really kind of like a political coup and Abimelech is not beyond killing his brothers or his half-brothers, all the sons of Gideon. And then we have God sending a spirit of contention, ill will, between these former allies, Abimelech and Shechem. Murder is the most heinous crime, the most grievous sin that a man can commit, against God and his fellow man. Going all the way back to Cain and Abel, Adam's sons, Cain in his anger towards God, because his sacrifice is not accepted, and Abel's sacrifice was accepted, Cain is so angry, he rises up against Abel, his brother, and he kills Abel. And then God... Ask Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain responds, am I my brother's keeper? Well, you are if you have killed him. God replies to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What a statement. Therefore, you're cursed, Cain. And Cain's reply to God, he says, My punishment, my curse, is greater than I can bear. Murder, without a doubt, is the worst of all sins. Taking of another human life is just beyond imagination when you really think about it. But under the Mosaic law, the law given by God, there was no sacrifice available for murder. Now David murdered Uriah, but God sent a prophet, uh, Samuel, to tell him, you're forgiven, David, which was a great, gracious thing for God to do for David. Taking of another human life happens in war. But that is not the same as murder. War, many people get killed. But murder is a, and we're talking about premeditated murder, where you murder intentionally. And Abimelech, he has murdered 70 of his brothers, all at one place, all at one stone. And now God himself will deal with Abimelech. The blood of 70 sons of Gideon, cry out to God from the ground just like Abel's blood cried out. The value of human life, the sanctity of life is extremely important in most societies. We in America struggle to comprehend how terrorists can kill innocent victims in the name of their God. We do not understand how they believe that they're pleasing their God by killing innocent people. However, as Americans and the rest of the free world, we abort millions of infants in their mother's womb. And we call it pro-choice. I don't care what you call it. You cannot talk to any group of people of any size and not realize that there is probably people in the hearing of your voice that have had an abortion. And what the Mosaic law could not do, Jesus can do. And I'm so glad for that. And that is forgive the sin of abortion. Many people who choose to have an abortion suffer mental anguish for years after they have aborted a child. The terrible guilt of having aborted a baby However, it's not beyond the capacity of our Lord to forgive. And I would say to anyone, allow Jesus to forgive and restore your life of any sin, and in particular, the sin of abortion. But back to our story of Abimelech. He has slaughtered 70 sons... Of Gideon his brothers his half-brothers and now God will begin to fulfill the curse that Jotham proclaimed upon Abimelech and Shechem and notice God calls the killing of the 70 he calls it a crime it's a crime first and foremost against God the creator of man for Scripture tells us we are skillfully wonderfully made, and God himself formed us in our mother's womb. God says, I take credit for human life. And the curse of Jotham that was proclaimed upon Abimelech and Shechem, it now begins to take root. It begins to take form. And we have God in his sovereignty, and he's sending a spirit A demonic spirit of conflict, of ill will, between Shechem and Abimelech. And we see that Shechem, once the ally of Abimelech, they begin to treat Abimelech treacherously. And their alliance, their political alliance, is now over and done with and the murder of the 70 sons of Gideon done before God, God will now settle with Abimelech and Shechem. Just as God said to Cain, where is your brother? God now requires Abimelech to give an account for his 70 brothers. And God will use evil forces demonic forces to accomplish his will to bring forth his plans and this verse along with other verses declare to us God's authority in using evil characters evil spirits for his own purpose we have a great example of this in Job Job chapter 1. So turn to Job chapter 1 and we'll read of a conversation between Satan and God. Job 1 6 through 12. Job 1 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God? "'and shuns evil. "'So Satan answered the Lord and said, "'Does Job fear God for nothing? "'Have you not made a hedge around him, "'around his household, "'around all that he has on every side? "'You have blessed the work of his hands, "'and his possessions have increased in the land. "'But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, "'and surely he will curse you to your face.' And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan comes before God along with the other angels, and they come into God's presence. And at this time, Satan has not yet been cast into the abyss, so he still has that right to come before God. Satan is extremely bold towards God, still exercising that right to come before God, but God has a question for Satan. And God asks him, what have you been doing, Satan? And he says, walking back and forth on the face of the earth. And then God, God says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? None like Job. He's blameless. He's upright. He's a man who fears God. And he shuns evil. We have God boasting to Satan of the goodness of the character of Job. And Satan... He's not without an accusation. He says to God, does Job fear you for nothing? We have here, and if you look at this, Satan judging Job, and he judges Job from his own character, from his own nature. He says, Job serves you, God, for what he gets in return. You protect Job. You have a hedge of protection around him and his family and all his possession. And by the way, his riches are increasing all the time. No wonder. Therefore, God, Job serves you for what he gets. Then he says, but God, if you touch Job's blessings, if you touch his possessions, He will curse you to your face. And we have this great challenge of Satan before a loving and gracious God. This challenge by Satan is recorded, and I think it's recorded to give us an idea, a sampling of the events that go on in the spiritual realm. God will not harm Job in any way. But God will allow Satan limited access to Job. You can touch what he owns, uh, Satan. You can touch all his possessions, but you cannot touch him personally. And Later, he'll let him touch uh, Job personally. But it's important for us to realize this. Understand this. Only God, and he alone, knows the outcome of Job's trial, this extreme trial, before it happens. Satan doesn't know. Job doesn't know. Only God knows history in advance. God knows that Job will come through this test. And notice how God controls Satan. You can only destroy and kill what Job owns. Now, we know this of Satan, that one of his names is accuser. Satan instantly attacks Job's family, his children, and all his possession, and he does it in a very ruthless way as god's children don't think for a moment that we're not accused that we're not attacked by evil demonic powers we are that is just being mature enough in the lord to realize we have an enemy our battle is against powers and principalities and these battles they're not won by the strength of the flesh or by the determination of my Christian will. <clears throat> know this God never allows us to be tempted beyond what we're able to withstand. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Let me read you one verse. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. God controls how much of a trial we go through. Job's trial was extreme and severe. And I think it was probably far greater than anything we will ever know. But Job himself was not tempted beyond what he was able to withstand. Remember, God set the parameters. He said this far and no further to Satan. Job lost all his possessions. And he was very wealthy, by the way. Job lost all his children. A strong wind that collapsed the home upon them. And when Job hears the news of his servants, his livestock, and his children, that they're all killed and destroyed, we read of his response. And it's so awesome, really. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job fully understands all that has come upon him was allowed to come upon him by God. Job was not allowed to hear the conversation that went on between God and Satan. Job only has his relationship and the knowledge of God's goodness to depend upon. Job was believed to be a contemporary of Abraham. That means pre-law. Job did not have the Mosaic, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible to even rely upon. But Job's relationship with God is declared to Satan by God. My servant Job, there's none like him on earth. Wow. When God speaks that well of you, that's a compliment. (laughs) Understand, though, that being a servant requires serving. Job has been very faithful to do what God has required of him. And we read that in verse 5 of chapter 1. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And this is speaking of Job's children. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Job would get up early in the morning sanctify his children, offering prayers of repentance, offering prayers of dedication to the Lord for his children. Job would offer sacrifices for all of his children. And then we get an insight into Job's thought life. For it may be that my sons have sinned. It may be that they committed evil in their hearts, perhaps turning away from their loyalty to their living God. And it says Job did this regularly. And he did it for all ten of his children. This was a daily practice of Job. Job was faithful to God. And he was faithful to God on behalf of his children. Job was a wealthy man. He owned huge flocks and herds of animals. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. 500 female donkeys, and he had a multitude of servants. He was extremely wealthy, and he was considered by Scripture to be the greatest man of the East. Now, we're not quite sure all that entailed, but Job was very powerful and wealthy, but he never allowed his wealth to interfere With his worship and service unto God. He did not allow his wealth to keep him from being a godly father. Job was a servant of God on behalf of his family. Job repented for his children. He made sacrifice for his children. And I've often wondered, what effect does repentance by a father have for others, like his children, in the economy of God? How does that work? We know all sin is against God. We also know each and every person must give an account for his and her own behavior so how does the repenting of another person's sin play out in God's kingdom and i can't say i fully understand or know but i know it's good cause we look at daniel daniel he's a very important man in the in the kingdom of babylon daniel is reading the book of jeremiah and daniel when reading the book of jeremiah he sees what israel has been doing and how they've been sinning against god and daniel begins to repent for the nation of israel before god let me read you uh several verses in daniel chapter 9 verses 3 through 6 Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity We have done wickedly, rebelled, even departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. Daniel confesses to God how disobedient the nation of Israel has been to God commandments, and God's statutes. Think of that. Daniel, a man of authority and power, repenting for the people. How refreshing would it be for America's leaders to repent of their own sins and for the sins of the people that they rule over. What a nation we would have. However, we have one presidential candidate who claims to be a Christian and he declares I don't ever recall of repenting before God. That man cannot be a Christian. Sorry. At the end of Daniel's prayer we hear him cry out, "O oh Lord, hear." O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen. And act on behalf of your people, Israel. This would be a great prayer for our leaders to pray. Wouldn't it be great if our leaders, our elected leaders, prayed for the people that they serve? But wouldn't this be a great prayer for us as Christians to be found praying, Lord, forgive us of our sin and forgive our family of their sins, my children of their sins, and my friends of their sins. Let me get you to stand and we will pray for our friends and family. Lord, I have confessed I do not know how my repenting or your people repenting for others, we don't know the weight that that carries in your kingdom. We do not, Lord. But we know that it was a good thing. We know Job repented for his children. We know Daniel repented for all of Israel. So, Lord, here we are just a few people that call you Lord and we want to repent not only for our own sins Lord but for the sins of our nation for the sins of those we know for the sins of those that call you Lord and perhaps don't really mean it so Lord we ask you to forgive forgive our nation turn our nation around Lord turn our friends around our children around Point them towards yourself, Lord, and heal our land. Lord, we pray for this. Do a great work in America. Return us again to a nation that honors you as Lord and God. And we pray for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.